God, before we dive into your word, I'm going to ask a favor. Uh, there's been a lot going on here in this space all morning long, lots of busyness, lots of activity. But I'm going to ask now that you do something fresh, even maybe you've not done in the previous worship times, in true worth, they would have a sense that you were with them and you know them, God. They would be awakened to your presence, to anyone that is online, God, watching even alone in their hospital room or driving in the car right now, God, going on a journey somewhere. They find themselves in another city, been removed from this place, but now they're there worshiping in their home, God, for those in the sanctuary who have found this kind of place over there, God, even on this campus, in the sanctuary, as the light comes through the windows, I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to all of us in a fresh way this morning and that you would touch some people. That as we open your word, someone would be touched so that they will experience anew the great love you have for them so that their whole family might begin the road to healing and being whole. That you might use us. That the world may know how great and awesome you are. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to find 2 Kings chapter 19. It is in the Old Testament. We'll be there in a moment. Uh, you would probably enjoy having the scriptures in your hand or on your phone this morning, particularly in your hand. Uh, we're going to get there in a moment, get your life steps out, your, your sermon notes, and get ready. But before we, we get into this, I need to finish up some business from last weekend. Uh, last weekend, we ran out of time, and I did not get to finish the message about prayer strategies, letter E. And from your notes, and so some of you know, brought your notes because you're anal about every blank being filled in, and some of you have forgot yours, so you'll notice the top of your message notes. For this message, you'll see letter E there, wrapping up prayer strategies from last week. If you're a guest here, this is the third week of a prayer series we're calling Now Connected. Uh, we're talking about prayer during this Lenten season approaching Easter. So I'll begin with the question, how many of you find yourself praying and all of a sudden you're not? You find yourself on your phone, you find yourself talking to somebody, flipping through a magazine, kind of distracted. I mean, all, you're praying one second, and the next second, you're not. Now, that happens to me all the time. Sometimes I get so distracted in my prayer, and I go, oh, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be praying. And I go back to the business. Does that, am I the only one that ever happens to? Are there a few other folks who would be honest that sometimes that happens to you as well? Okay, so, and I learned something years ago that's kind of helped me when I need some serious praying to do, but I find myself kind of, ah, kind of getting distracted, and that is in your notes, literally, a little strategy, that I write out my prayers and read them to God. So this morning I did that. I went to the life steps on the back of our sermon notes like you get every weekend. I went to Sunday, and I read the, back, the passage from Daniel this morning, and then I kind of reflected on that for about 10 minutes, and then I wrote out my prayer in my journal. And then after I wrote out the prayer, I read it out loud to God. And after I did that, there was some clarity about my thoughts and what I, I'd read in the Scripture about who I was and I felt ready to go. Now, I know this is not for all of you. Some of you don't need to do this. You're very focused, concentrated people. 
I sometimes, my mind starts rambling. My mind starts going so fast. All these thoughts start coming to my head. And I just kind of say, my mind starts spinning. It's not going anywhere. It's just running laps, right? It's just going in a circle. And nothing's really productive happening. And so I got to do this. And uh, I recall I was even in a restaurant. I've been at a conference, and I sat down, and I was by myself. I asked the, the table server, could you give me some pen and paper for a second? They said, how come? I said, well, I need to write down my prayers. They said, what sort of religion are you? And I said, weird. <laughs> you know, and it's really not the faith. It's me. I, I just kind of get distracted so easily. I got to write down a few prayers here. And so that is what I So I just offer that to you. If that would be helpful to you, take it. If not, just kind of put it aside. Okay. So here we are. We're back to our text here in 2 Kings 19. And if you're in a small group or a Sunday school class that's following along what we're doing, here's what you're going to do to begin your class, and you can kind of do it right here individually. We're going to play the where were you win game. And if you're in my generation, the where were you win game, you would do something like this. Where were you when President Kennedy was shot? And you go, oh, I know exactly where I was and when that happened. Or where were you when Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon and everybody watched on television 1969? Oh, I know where I was. Or maybe a little younger, I could say, hey, where were you uh, when President Reagan was shot? 1981. You go, oh, yep, yep, I kind of have an idea about that. I kind of got that in my head. Or for the sports guys and the girls who kind of remember 30 years ago, I mean, this year, right before the draft, where were you when the evil demon Jerry Jones fired Tom Landry. I mean, God's team, right? And he got rid of him, you know, and everything. And so, well, I kind of remember that. But for all of us, for most of us here in the house, uh, you could say, hey, I know where I was and what I felt when the Twin Towers fell. You go, yep, yep, I remember. I know exactly where I was. Now, that's exactly what I think is happening in 2 Kings chapter 19. We have a young king named of Hezekiah, and I believe that he has vivid, lifelong memories of where he was, what he was doing, who he was with, maybe even what he was wearing when he received a letter. And this is what the letter said. It was from a bully neighboring king. Hey, listen, unless you unconditionally surrender right now, we're going to storm Jerusalem we're going to kill every man, woman, and child, run them through with a sword. Hezekiah is 39 years of age. He's a young king. He's received just enough intel to know that this bully neighboring king of this large nation, he has the troops to do what he's threatening to do. Now, I can imagine him when he gets this letter, the first thing he does is he reads the letter really fast just to get the gist of it, just to kind of get the overall gist. And then he sits down, and he reads it slowly, and all of a sudden the weight of the letter sinks in. I can picture Hezekiah breaking out into a sweat. I kind of sense him getting nauseous, particularly when it gets to the part in the letter that reads, every man, woman, and child killed run through with our swords. And I can imagine him thinking about his own wife and children. I can picture him thinking about his extended family that showed up for the baptisms, right? Of all these people, the clan showing up. I can picture him imagining all of his friends and going, whoa. I can imagine him kind of being overwhelmed, beginning to almost pass out when he says, oh, ho, 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 ho. 
My only hope is God. That's my only hope. It's either God or it's going to be a massacre. It's either God or total extinction. If God didn't show up and do something, because there's no human plan, A, B, C, or D, that I can come up with that will get us out of this jam. Either God does something, or it's lights out for everyone that I know and that I love. Now, before I read to you, before we read what Hezekiah does, I want to call a timeout and ask you a question. Can you think of a time where your world got rocked? And it was so rocked, you can remember exactly where you were, what you felt, what you were doing, who you were with, maybe even what you were wearing. Such as lawsuit, out of the blue, boom, you're in the lawsuit against you. Medical report, prognosis is awful. Foreclosure notice, you got to move out in days. And you're going, whoa, whoa, what's happening? What's going on here? You kind of, I mean, it kind of knocks you for a loop. Knock at the door. You knock at the door. You go to the door. Someone hands you an envelope. You open the envelope. It's papers. Divorce papers? Really? Really? I thought we were still talking. 27 years. This is how you're telling me it's done. This is the way it's going to be. <sighs> knock at the door at your office where you work. They say, will you please come with me? You walk down the hallway, you go to HR. Five minutes later, HR is walking you out of the building. You've been laid off. Really? I'm about to retire. And now you're letting me go out of the blue just like that? And man, you're just reeling. You're just overwhelmed. You can't believe this is happening. I mean, I wonder how many of you have these moments in your life where it's like someone hit you between the eyes with a sledgehammer, right? Your, your, your partner ran off with the money. Your wife ran off with the boss. And you're going, whoa. You can hardly shake the cobwebs out of your head. You're just kind of loopy. And then before you just kind of go, ah, you realize, I mean, my only hope is God. I mean, there's no human plan I can come up with, A, B, C, or D, that's going to get me out of this mess. If God doesn't do something, then it's lights out. For everything that I hope and I believe in and I love, that's exactly where Hezekiah is. And if this is you, you can think of a time, of exact day, exact place, what you were thinking, what you were feeling, what you're wearing when that happened. And the same with Hezekiah. And I want you to notice what he does. Look at verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messenger, and he read the letter. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord, and he spread it out before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Now, here's what he did. So he goes into the temple, he takes the letter after he's read it, and he lays it out on the table. And he says, hey, God, I can't handle what's in this letter. I'm not big enough, bad enough, strong enough. I need you to read it. Every sentence, every word, I need you to do that. And I need you to handle this because I got nothing. I love that. King, he's a great leader. He is a leader of leaders, willing to be vulnerable, willing to be honest, 
I'm totally dependent upon God for what I need in my life. I love that. I wish more of us were like that. And then he prays. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God, you are over all the kingdoms, you alone are over all the earth, you alone have made the heavens and the earth. Now I'm going to stop right there. All he's doing here is warming up. This is the preamble. This is not the meat of his prayer. He's just getting started. And I wonder if there's any of you in the house who really know what's going on here in that one verse. What, he's do, what is he doing? I wonder if some of you do this as a natural part of your prayer life and you're not even aware of it. Do you recognize the power of what he's doing? Hezekiah is filling up his own faith tanks. He is reminding himself to whom he is praying. He is reminding himself that the one to whom he is praying is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-sovereign over everything. Oh, God, he says, you are established upon the throne. You're on the king. You're the high king. You're the king of all kings. You're the king of all kingdoms. You alone are God. You created the earth. You caused it to come into existence. You sustain it. You have unlimited power, God. It's you. Hezekiah learned something about prayer that so many of us don't get. I love that beautiful thing. He understood that some people just pray throwing up half-hearted wishes to God, a little g, when I say God, little g, hoping that their little g God will do something about the situation. He says, no, no, I'm praying to the one true God, the almighty God, who I know, I don't hope, I know has the power to sovereignly do whatever he decides to do, period. And that's who I'm praying to. Man, he got something. He understood something. So many of us kind of half-hearted, kind of namby-pamby praying. And he understood in your notes, letter A, that faith is critical to effective prayer. Faith is critical. And so he fills his own faith tank up before he prays. One little verse, just a few words. Now, I'm going to suggest that you do this. In fact, I want you to repeat after me. Repeat after me. I must fill up my faith tanks. I'm going to say it one more time online, true world, in a sanctuary, all say it together one more time. I must fill up my faith tanks. Some of you need to write that down in your message notes, put it on your mirror, in your journal before you begin your morning time with God. I must accept responsibility for filling up my faith, my faith tanks. Now, church, if I don't do this before I get up in the morning and I open up my Bible and I have my prayer time and study time with God, then all of a sudden I find myself offering half-hearted prayers that just make it halfway to God. And I'm just kind of saying words in the air that in my gut, sometimes I really don't, I'm not convinced that God's going to do anything about it. I'm just kind of saying it because that's what Christians do. Goody, goody, tissue Christians, right? You just pray and you're supposed to, so you do it. But not really believing God's going to do anything about it. So I begin with just extolling who God is. I remind myself who I'm talking to. That's what Hezekiah did. And then, a lot of times, I'll read a few stories in the Bible to remind myself what God did in the Scriptures. Oh, yeah, he did that, he did that, he did that. And then I'll review some of the things that God did in my life. 
such as, I'll go, oh, God, I remember, God, when I was 16, University United Methodist Church, and I sat in that empty chair, and I felt a sense of your presence and the forgiveness for my sins in a very fresh and new way, and you set my course on a different direction. I remember, God, I remember you doing that, God. God, I remember when Dallas and I lived in this little town in Odessa, and we needed a place to go, how supernaturally you uprooted us and took us to a town called Burleson we'd never even heard before. I mean, we knew nothing about it. Now we've been here 32 years later. God, I go, whoa, now it's for the rest of our life. God, really? I had no clue what you were going to do. And it's been a wonderful thing, God. And I thank you for all that you've allowed me to witness and see in this journey. God, I thank you. I look back and I can tell, God, there was a season in our marriage for me in Dallas. Uh, and God, you know how hard that season in our marriage was. It was hard. And it was touch and go sometimes for both of us. But here, God, now it's been 40 years. You've been 40 years, God, and you took us through that season. That's the only way we got through it. And I, got, I saw you do it, God, and I know you could do it again. I'm just amazed, God. And I, I think, God, this little church that started off on a little two acres of land. And I look back what you've done over 32 years and the works and the mighty things you've done in people's lives. And, God, I know you work and change lives. And then I can really pray. Because my faith has been filled in my tanks of who God is and what he can do. And so Hezekiah, he goes, hey, God, you flung the stars in the universe. You spoke the world into being. Surely you can take care of a little two-bit sword-rattling king. Big whoop de deal Go get him. That's small stuff for you. And you pray in a different sort of way. Now, church, I told you at the beginning of this message that sometimes I'll write out my prayers. In my journal, I just found this helpful to me. And when I do that, a lot of times I use this formula that you have in your message notes, Acts. Some of you have heard of this many times before. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And I like the order. This is why this order is so helpful and so important. Adoration is reminding yourself who God is. That's all adoration is. You're reminding yourself who God is and what God is about. And then confession is remind yourself who you are. Right? And your, your unlimited power, God's unlimited power, so you're differentiating the difference between you and God. Who God is, who I am. And then you move to thanksgiving. And I thank you, God. You did this. I've seen you do that. I've seen, man, I, I, and then it gets to supplication. You're ready to ask God, God, I need you to do this. Because your faith tanks are full when you move through that. You're ready to say, God, I just placed it before you. I know you can do it. So, I'm just saying, many of you, if you've never done this, if you will try it, you'll be amazed about how your prayer life, it will change your prayer life forever if you will learn about adding this as, as a way of praying. Make your prayers much more effective and powerful in your life. Now, let's move on. Verse 19. He kind of gets to the meat of his prayer. Verse 19. He says, now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand. Stop right there. Now, Lord, deliver us from his hand. Now, there, there's so much we can learn from this passage. Uh, just a few words, lots of learnings, lots of God talk here to discover that. But I just want to kind of show you one little, little key thing that John, I want you to notice how simple is this verse. Now, Lord, deliver us from his hand. Now, make sure you remember the context. Remember the con he's in the temple. He's read the letter. He's overwhelmed. He's got the letter spread out before God. God, you got to do something about this. Why? Because right now, while he's praying, 
outside the walls of Jerusalem, there's a king with 185,000 troops that are ready to go take the city and kill everybody just like that. So he's in the temple standing before the God for, 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 on behalf of the people, and all he says is, Lord, deliver us from his hand. That's it. Don't you have more to say? No. Now, he is teaching you and me something. In 6th century B.C., that the Apostle Paul teaches in the 1st century A.D., that we're to practice throughout humanity for all centuries, it's in Philippians 4, verse 6. We'll put it on the screen. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, here it comes, present your request to God. Read that with me. Present your request to God. Very simple. What does he say? Help us, God. Deliver us from his hand. Present your request to God. No flowery words needed. No babbling, no beads, no candles, no clergy needed. You have been invited by the almighty God, creator and sustainer of the universe, to come into his presence and present your request to him, period. Simple as that. Deliver us from his hand, period. Now, here's the point for Point number two, simplicity and brevity generate effective prayer. Simplicity and brevity. Now, I want to turn the tides here. I'm going to put on my client hat, and I need you to be my therapist. So I'm asking everybody here, I'm asking you to be my therapist here, which means I'm going to talk, and uh, you're going to be my therapist. And since this is therapy, it's confidential. That means you can't tell anybody what I'm about to say to you. You can't email me about it because emails, we know emails are not confidential. You can't email each other and talk about it because this is my time. I'm asking you to be the therapist online, wherever you are. You be the therapist, you be the client because I have issues. I have, I have serious issues. And I, I'm, I'm guessing some of you do too, but this is my time. So here, here's my first issue I need some help with. I just kind of need to get it off my chest. Sometimes I get very impatient when people pray on and on and on and on and on and on and on. How many ons do you want? And on and on and on and on. In fact, sometimes while they're praying, I'm sinning. Yeah, I sin while other people pray. That's not good. You're a pastor. I know. I'm just telling you the truth. I got to because God knows, so I'm just telling you. So, you know when you're in a small group of people and there's about eight or ten people in a small group and everybody's expected to pray. Everybody's is expected... We're going to go in a circle, everybody pray, and the first person goes, and they decide to break the Guinness Book of World Record for the longest prayer ever, and they're praying, and they're praying, and they're praying, and they're praying, and I'm sinning. I'm going, man, don't you see there's eight others of us in this circle? Are you ever going to stop and give us a chance? Are you just going to keep going on and on and on? Am I the only one that's ever noticed that, how that can happen in the group? And you go, would they please just stop? How much do you got to say? Now, for all of you who think it's just my issue, well, Jesus had this issue. I mean, Jesus addressed this issue, I mean, straight out over in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He puts it this way, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many, many, many words. In other words, just get to the point and tell me what you want and move on. 
Okay, I feel better. <laughs> but I just feel partial better. That's just one of my issues. I got another issue. Here's another issue. And I know it's a little thing, but sometimes it's just the little things, you know. It's just the little things that can cause problems in our lives and everything. And, and here, so here's my request of you in this therapy conversation. I'm going to ask that you stop asking God to be with you or to be with me, to be with anybody for that matter. I mean, just stop asking God to be with people. Uh, so back in January, uh, some of you know that I had the shingles, and I, my, this side of my face was just flared up. It was ugly. I mean, I looked like some from horror movie and sort of thing. I mean, it was just so bad. And it was all inflamed on this side of my face and my nose and head and everything. And so I'm still doing my work. I'm still doing my, my job. And so I meet this person for coffee. They want to have a conversation. Sure. So I meet them at every coffee shop. And so after we finish the meeting there, I've got to get back to the church. I have another appointment, and I'm kind of late, so I'm walking to my car to get there as quick as I can to get back to the office. And there's this woman, this, let me emphasize, this sweet, wonderful, fantastic, um, awesome human being who happened to be senior in life, who's waiting for me at my car, leaning against the door where I'm going to get into the car. And she says, oh, Pastor Owen, I thought that was you. I thought this was you. Can I pray for you? Now, I quickly start sinning right there. <laughs> and she doesn't know it, but I quickly start sinning because she's not really asking me if she can pray for me because she's leaned against my car door. I can't get into my car. I either got to shove her out of the way. <laughs> That's going to look good. <laughs> Cameras everywhere. And so I just said, sure. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be late. And so she takes her hands and she puts them on my face and my neck. And she starts caressing. And my face is on fire from the shingles. I mean, it's on fire. And I'm just gritting my teeth and everything like that. And then she was what I want to call, you know what a close talker is? A close talker? She was a close prayer. And I had my eyes closed. Because I was trying to grit from, and, but I could feel her leaning forward, her breath. And I thought, I'm not opening my eyes. I'm afraid what I'm going to see. You know, the man was like, it was right there. And then she started praying. Oh, God, please be with Pastor Rick when he gets in his car. Please be with Pastor Rick when he gets to his office. Please be with Pastor Rick in his next appointment. Please be with him as he goes home today. Please be with him when he gets home. Please be with him when he goes to bed. Please be with him when he gets up in the bed from the morning morning. Please be with him when he goes to the doctor tomorrow. Please be with him, God, in the healing of his shingles. And she's driving me out of my mind. And I'm sinning. I'm sitting and I know it's not right. I know it is, but, but all I could think, and, and, and not, not because she had her hands on my face and my face was on fire, not because I was going to be late for a very important appointment, but because she was asking God to do what God had already promised he was going to do, and that is be with me all the time. All that, we're going to put it on the screen, church, I'm just telling you, stop doing it. It's in the Bible. Look what it says. I will never leave you or forsake you. Read it with me. I will never leave you or forsake you. What does never mean? Never. He's never going to leave you. Jesus himself put it himself. Matthew 28, the last verse in the chapter of Matthew. Look what it says right here. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Read it with me. And surely I'm with you what? Always. What does always mean? Always. It's the little things. It's just a little theological thing. It's just kind of, church, I've been in worship services where a person will begin, oh, God, we just invite you into this place. I start sinning. He's already here. <laughs> he was here before you were ever born. 
He has always has been and always will be. He is here. Now, church, why am I making a big deal about this? Because as you and I grow in our faith, we're expected to pray with some measure of intelligence and some knowledge of this book of who God is and how God works and about the omnipresence and the sovereignty of God in every facet and part of the creation and in our lives. And when you learn how to pray succinctly and in faith, not rambling, and you get to the point. You can pray and consistent with God's word, and you'll be amazed how powerful and effective your prayer life, your prayer life seems in your life. I'm going to wrap this up by talking about two words, just two words here in this, in this prayer that I think are so important. I'm going to ask you to circle them if you have this in your own Bible. Chapter 19, verse 19. Now, Lord our God, go back to the meat of the prayer, deliver us from his hand. Very simple, to the point, this is what I want you to do. So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Now, in your Bible, circle those two little words, so that. Anytime you read your Bible, I suggest you see so that, you circle it. You circle those two words. I was reading my Bible, uh, 15 minutes, like I do in the morning, 20 minutes, uh, not for preaching, but for being a Christian just like you, trying to figure out to be a good husband and a good dad, reading the Bible. And I noticed that so many men and women of faith in the scriptures, when they're asking God to do something in prayer, they interject those two little words, so that. So that. Now, I want you to notice what he's not praying. He doesn't pray. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that I won't lose my job. He didn't pray that. Now, Lord, deliver us from our hand so that I won't lose uh, Air Force One and Camp David. He didn't pray that. Oh, now, Lord, God, please deliver us uh, from his hand uh, so that in future when they write about me as king, they will not say I was a failure and I had a big L on my forehead for the rest of my life. That's not how he prayed. He didn't pray, I God, deliver us from his hand so that my wife and my children might live, though I would be okay with that. I think that scripture says that's, that's very okay to pray in that way. He said, oh, Lord, God, Deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. Church, that's a very classy prayer. Now, I'm going to turn you to a verse in the Bible for some of you that's going to rock your life when it comes to your prayer life. And for some of you, it's going to be unpleasant. I'm just going to tell you. It's from James 4, verse 3. And here's what it says. When you pray... When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Please hear this. God is not your divine butler. He's not mine either. God is not your rich uncle. God is not obligated to do anything that you or me ask him to do. He is God. God's chief goal is not to make you wealthy, healthy, thinner, or happy. God's chief goal is to conform you and me into the image of Jesus. 
God's chief goal is to cause you and me to grow up into men and women of strong faith and character. God's chief goal is to shape you and to mold you and to set you apart for the greater mission, for the grander vision of restoring and redeeming a broken world that needs to know the power and the love of Jesus in their lives. That's God's chief goal in your life. It's not about just making you happy and cushy and everything good. It's so much bigger. Oh, God, deliver us from his hand so that the world will know that you are God, that every king, every pagan king, God, will bow down and worship you and declare that you are Lord in their life. Oh, my goodness, church. If we would just add those two little words in that, in your message notes number three, so that purifies effective prayer. It just purifies it. When you learn to pray that way, hey, in fact, I, I found so that is like a little filter. And when you run your prayers through the so that test, it purifies your prayer. Where it's not just about you. I have to do this. I'll write out my prayers in my journal. I'll write them out. And I'll go, okay, Rick, let's check this prayer out before I read it to God. Is there anything in here about God or is it just about me rubbing the genie bottle one more time to get God to do what I want God to do. Is it more just about making my life more cushy, making the people around me that I know and love happy? Is that all they're about? Or is there anything out there about the glory and the name and the power of God being made known in the world? Or is it just about me? I'm going to ask you to do something this week. I'm going to ask you to do something very painful. I'm going to ask you to evaluate your prayer life. And for some of you, it's going to be humbling to find out just how selfish and self-centered are our prayer lives. That there's nothing about the glory and the goodness and the name of God being made known and the redeeming and changing of the whole world and God using us to be a part of it. It's just all about us. Let me give you some examples of how to do that. You're going to work tomorrow. Most of you in this room, online, sanctuary, true work, work. God, as I go to work today, I pray you give me the power to help me, God, to be the very best I can be at work, to perform at a very high level so that people who question Christianity and don't even believe in you, God, We'll see that people in this organization can be true to you and succeed in the organization and do well for you, God, and do well for the organization. And that, God, you would use me to draw them to you, to ask, why do you work so hard? Why do you push to that standard, God, so that, God, they can know the standards you have and how much you love them? Would God answer that prayer? Every day. God, I pray you, God, medical. God, tomorrow I'm going to the doctor. I got the surgeon. You know, God, I'm going underneath the knife. I pray, God, you give the surgeon unusual skill and concentration so that my body can respond fully the best that it can, God. So until my final breath, whether that's one day or a hundred days, God, I can give you glory and praise, and people will know that you are God because of what you've done here, you know, through these surgeons. And God, I, I'm in the hospital room. God, I'm here. God, I'm hurting. I'm broken. God, I pray you would give me a peace that passes all understanding so that, give me comfort so that 
every person who comes in here to see me, every doctor or nurse, when they see how calm I am, God, they will ask why, so that they will know that you bring peace and calm in the storm that doesn't make sense. I ask you to do it all. For your children, God, I have a son, I have a daughter. Uh, they've left you. They've left the church. God, I pray you would bring them back to their childhood faith so that they can once again be secure in your love. And for all their peers that are leaving the church in droves, that are turning their back on you, God, that among those, that generation, God, you might use my son, you might use my daughter to let people know that you are good and you are loving and you are kind and you are not condemning, God, you are good. I ask you to do it, I got a granddaughter. I got a little granddaughter. I pray for protection all the time. God, I pray for Lennox, my little 17-month-old girl guard. I pray, God, that you would protect her from the world. Do not let the world have her so that she can fully come to know who Jesus is and what he did for her on the cross in the empty tomb, that she can grow up in the full understanding of that, God, and you might use her to be productive Christian all the days of her life, God, until her final breath. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. For your church. God, I, I pray for my church. I love my church, God. I love my church. Please, God, please keep pouring your power, your favor upon our church, God, so that people in the community who are far away from you, who will shake their head in wonderment. Oh, those people, they are so different, God. They are so different. My gosh, maybe you are real. Maybe you are real. They would come and even maybe think about exploring your existence and read your Bible, God, and even come to worship to discover how loving and kind and good you are. God, do it, God. I'm just saying, when you pray that way, i got to wind the story up. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to send you out the door. Here's how the story ends. Hezekiah's praying, and I'm not going to read it to you. You don't have time for me to read it to you. He's praying. He's praying. And a prophet comes in the temple, taps him on the shoulder. He says, why, 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 why? He says, why? I'm praying. Says, I know, I know, I know. I, I come from the word from the Lord. What is it? The Lord says, I got this. He said, what do you mean I got it? The Lord says, I got this. You mean I need to rally the troops and go fight? No, no, no. No fighting. I got this. He said, well. You mean I just go get in the hammock and take a nap? I'm telling you, God got this. In fact, we'll put it on the screen. The verse is in verse 30, verse 31, that text that says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In other words, God's going to fight for you. You don't have to fight. God's going to fight for you. And uh, some of you know what happens. God doesn't send 100,000 angels. God sends one angel. One, uno, one, 185,000 enemy troops, one angel, 185,000. And then a rumor starts spreading around all the pagan kings. They go, whoa, whoa, y'all need to know there's a God. There's, a one, there's one God, a true God. He's a powerful God. And he's Hezekiah's friend. Let's leave Hezekiah alone. <laughs> Let's leave that guy alone for a while because Hezekiah's friend. Uh... I'm here to testify to everyone here who can hear my voice, even if I can't see you. There's one God, only one, and he's powerful. And he wants to be your friend. And through Jesus Christ, he becomes your friend. 
and there's no one in the world that wants to hear and answer and respond to your prayers, your needs, your worries and concerns more than your friend. And when you learn how to pray succinctly, clearly, simply, not rambling, flowery words, on and on and on, just get to the point, God, this is what I need you to do, so that when you least expect it, you're going to sit a little tap on the shoulder. And that tap is going to say, God's got this. Just go back to work. I got it. Go back to bed. Stop tossing and turning. Go to sleep. I got it. And when that happens to you, you'll start praying more frequently and more fervently. And God is going to use you. True worth stand, sanctuary stand. If you're watching online, you can stand. I invite you to stand. God, we stand because you are God. You alone are holy. You are the creator, sustainer of the universe. You are the God of all gods. You are the king of kings. You are the commander in chief. We stand in awe of you. God, I pray before we walk out these doors that every person in this room, in every place where they can hear my voice, God, wherever they are gathered, before they leave this room, you would touch them with the awareness of your great love and presence in their life. Awaken them, God. Awaken them that you are near and that you care. And touch them so that when they go home and they go to that restaurant and they go to work tomorrow, so that world may know that you are merciful and you are forgiving and you are kind and you are good and you are generous and you care about people. Use us, we pray, that the world may know that you are God. In Jesus' name.